You're listening to the Home Staging Show podcast. I'm your host Nilin. This is a show we talk about all things real estate, home staging, and selling a home to live and to sell. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 136. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Home Staging Show. So if you miss August monthly staging challenge, not to worry. We got another one this month. The theme this month is kitchen, and we'll be selecting submissions to send to apartment therapy as well. So I've been in touch with their real estate editor, and they want to feature more stagers and also more home staging transformations. So this is a great opportunity if you want to get some press. As you know, apartment therapy is a very well-read blog, not only within the states but also internationally as well. It's been around for a very long time too. So you actually get featured for your business and you get a link back from their website that is going to really boost your search engine optimization as well. If you're thinking about starting your home staging business, I will be teaching a new free workshop on how to prepare for that on September 14, 16, and 21st with live Q and A's. I'll be sharing the registration details for that soon. Make sure you keep an eye out on our Instagram or on our website. If you have not yet subscribed to our newsletter, this is also a great way to keep up to date on everything we do at a school, the free workshop, and events coming up in the next quarter. We're actually in October in next month. We are also starting to have live paid workshops with guest experts coming in. There's so much that goes into running a home staging business, so we do want to invite guest experts to come in and teach very specific workshops. So the one we have planned in October, it's about sales. That's a really big component in what we do as a business owner. But with sales, I don't really like to do the hard sell thing. So I found an expert, Nikki, and she's amazing. It's all about organic and really great way of building up your business, and also breaking down some of the blocks you may have when it comes to sales. So she's got some great technique. She basically has it down to a system. So I'm really excited about that. That's really our very first pay workshop. We're gonna have more and more on that as well. And if you are interested in teaching any type of workshop, just pitch me. Because I would love to be able to offer as many different kinds of workshop as possible. There are other things that we don't really talk about. For example, in running our businesses, like being a mom or having a family, when you're trying to build a staging business, I mean, all that takes a lot that goes into it. I personally, I'm a single woman. I have no children. Those are not the subjects that I'm able to teach or shed any light on. As usual, I want to put it out there and then tap into the brain trust and then see if any of you would like to teach at our school. So definitely just pitch me. You can DM me on Instagram or you can email me through our website at sagemore.com. So we are also going to be posting more about that once we finish our open enrollment for the Home Staging Professional Career Certificate Program this September. So today I have Robin on the show, and I've admired Robin for a very long time. I think that she's a fantastic stager with a very strong point of view and very strong design and aesthetic background as well. One of the things I really love about Robin's staging is that it's always very cohesive. And the styling is very consistent. The color palette is fairly consistent. You can really tell that this is something done by Robin and her team. Robin, the sourcing expert who loves to hunt the unique furniture, art decor that fill our clients' homes. As a designer, she harkens back to her many years in graphic design, art direction, and bring artful composition, form, and balance to a room. With a love of architecture, good design, and great lines, she can look at a space from all angles, take it apart, and put it back together in a whole new way. She's always looking around a corner to what's next on the design horizon. Not just following fleeting trends. It's a classic thing, and it will stand the test of time. When it's like that, she's on it. As long as it's fresh, comfortable, and unique, she also loves that as well. Her philosophy is that great design happens all the time if one is willing to find it. As an avid consumer of international interior design, she's inspired daily and keeps notebooks and Pinterest boards filled to the brim with ideas to complement in their client spaces. So I hope this episode will be helpful for you when it comes to defining your style, your staging style, and then also Robin share a lot of great and solid home staging business building tips. You'll definitely hear her story of how she got started. So I'm really excited to have Robin on the show today. All right, let's start the show. Hi, Robin. 
Robin, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on the show today since I love your work and have followed you for a long time. Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about how you got started in staging? Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks, Cindy. I'm so happy to be here. We got started in about 2008, and it was my daughter, Rachel, and myself, and we just developed a love for interior design right around the same time, coincidentally, and we started just fixing up our own homes. And then we entered a couple of our projects into before and afters on apartment therapy and other places. And we actually had some things published online. So we got kind of interested in the whole idea of, hey, we could do this. This is fun. We both were employed full time. So we just did this kind of on the side. And we found realtors who were willing to work with us. And we found some developers who wanted us to work with them, house flippers. This is in the early, early days. And we just did it on nights and weekends. And then around 2011, I decided to just quit my job, like basically up and quit. One Friday, I went into my boss and I said, I think I need to make a change because I had been just quietly developing this sideline business that they never knew about at work. They did know that I had the nicest decorated office in the entire place, though, (laughs) and I was decorating other people's offices for fun. People suspected I had quite the hobby and that I was very interested in it, but nobody knew I was going to go for this business-wise. So 2011, we got started in earnest, and then my daughter's husband, so my son-in-law, joined us as a project manager. And then the three of us just set off to start doing this and just word of mouth traveled. And now fast forward to 2021, we have a staff of, we haven't grown the staff as much as you might think in all those years. I've added one more person full time. And now we have a staff of four core people and then a moving team. And we're doing, you know, over 100 homes a year on average and loving every minute of it. So it's still just as fun today as it was the very first time I did it. And that's what amazes me. I think that's a great story. And I think that's encouraging as well, especially for new stagers who are listening, because I think most new stagers coming in thinking that they could quit their full time job first and then dive into staging full time. It sounds like you prepare, like you prepare yourself and then work until you feel ready to leave. I did. In fact, I would definitely recommend that to anyone. And yes, you still can follow your dream, but you have to be practical about it. You have to pay your bills. You have to be able to feed yourself and you can't just completely toss everything out the window and then go for the dream because you could fail. I mean, I made lots of little mistakes along the way, luckily nothing major, but because I had this kind of rolling up alongside my other business, my other career, it was able to grow without fear of like losing income. So I was actually making extra income and then just devoting, unfortunately, a little too much time on nights and weekends. And that's when I realized, okay, it's time to quit one of these. Which one do I want to quit? And of course, the decision was pretty easy at that point. That's amazing. I also love that you started with your daughter. I think that's not a story we hear very often, but it's definitely a really nice one. How is it working with family? Amazingly well. We have had like a few little creative differences over the years, but we literally have learned just how to get over those very, very easily. Because essentially... When you're working with family, you can argue about stuff. But at the end of the day, your relationship is the most important thing. And you can set aside, oh, well, I wanted that sofa instead of this one. It really doesn't matter. At the end of the day, this is my daughter and I love her. And I may argue with my son-in-law, but then we'll, you know, tears and hugs and apologies later and we're all good. Family is wonderful to work with. I think it's the best. I feel extremely lucky every day. That's amazing. I love that. And what is the real estate like in your area right now? Actually, Los Angeles is just extremely active in terms of real estate, always has been. 
I think it's just one of the best places to be a stager. It's just so huge. We service all of Los Angeles County and Los Angeles County is just massive. So we have the valleys, we have the central area, we have the south, we have the north, we have out to the beach, you know, up to the foothills of the San Gabriel Mountains. We literally have every style and type of home and just miles and miles and miles of real estate here. So you just can never get bored and there's always a good amount of work. So knock on wood, you know, whether any particular real estate downturns that may happen since we started in 2008, there was a massive financial crisis, which seems like a strange time to start a business, but we just wanted to start it then. So we said, well, let's just do it. <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> and that's always been our philosophy. You know, just do it. I think that is the right philosophy. I think a lot of newer stagers as well, you know, because we work with students and sometimes they're like, I just need to study more or do this more. I'm like, no, you need to get out there now because at some point you need to take your idea and turn that into action. Otherwise you're going to get stuck not doing anything yeah. and still yeah. thinking about it. So yeah, I love yeah. that. Sorry. I'm just a real experiential learner in that I really learn by doing so rather than spending a lot of money on training and on, you know, trying to learn someone else's technique, we decided really as a team that we were going to just take our natural instincts and our natural talents and use them and to build our own style of staging rather than learn someone else's. So I'm not against training, but for myself, I'm just, like I said, an experiential learner and that's how I do it. I'm not one to pick up a manual if I get a new piece of software. <laughs> I go, I'll figure this out. And I just get online and figure it out. So that's kind of what we did. Yeah. And I definitely think you need to find the right style for you, you know, and I totally agree with that. I think education is important in the sense that you also come from a strong business background. That's probably also very helpful, too. Yeah, my marketing career was over 30 years. so. I worked in marketing for all different types of industries and advertising and PR. So I had a good basis for how to get along with people, how to work with lots of different kinds of people, how to navigate various types of circumstances that we might find ourselves in. And I think that really served me well. Yeah, I think having that strong business skill is important, especially knowing how to deal with people because we deal with so much of that actually in real estate. Yeah. And I think that's something people don't realize when they first enter into staging is that actually how much time we deal with clients versus actually mm -hmm. staging on the projects. That's true. It's a huge part of it. And you will get asked difficult questions and you will be asked to do things that... You're thinking, oh, that's not really a good idea. How do I talk them out of that? So we often have to navigate these kind of landmine conversations with clients, in particular sellers who are attached to their home. And sometimes realtors who have, you know, sometimes some expectations that are unrealistic and, you know, it's time for a reality check. And that's where we come in. So we've developed diplomatic skills in terms of communicating hard to communicate topics. And it's just been a great learning experience for all of us. And every day we come up with something new. You know, there's a new, a new challenge. So it's never boring. Yeah. And one of the things I really love about your work and also your staging company is I think your brand and staging style is always very consistent. So has it always been like that from the start? Or how did you know this was your sweet spot? That's a good question, Cindy. We have developed a style over the course of these many years. And I would say in the beginning, we probably struggled with that a little more than I would have liked. But I also recognize that that's part of the learning experience. And in the beginning, I think we were trying to be a little too eclectic because we're here in Northeast LA and there you know, was this massive influx of hipster style when we got started and these house flippers were coming in and doing these cool interesting houses and so we would just throw a lot of color and ethnic textiles and kind of go a little bit nuts and we didn't think about 
colors coordinating as much. I see a real shift and actually just in the last year or two of interestingly, things moving into more of a transitional look. So our style has evolved over the years, but we do basically have these niches that people know us for. We're kind of well-known for mid-century modern. We're becoming more known for transitional style, which is a lot more of the neutrals and the warm colors and the cream and brown and you know, these kind of earth tones that are coming back. So I'd say, if anything, we're moving more in the transitional direction, just because that's kind of where the market and the trends are moving us. But we always keep this little nod to that mid-century because that's kind of our roots, kind of where we came from. And so it just feels really right just to kind of mix that in. You know, like Joanna Gaines will do that with her farmhouse stuff where, you know, she throws in a mid-century chair and you're like, that looks so perfect there, right? And you're like, that's not farmhouse, but it is because you just have to know how to mix. So I think this modern mix is changing. And I think it's because the millennial generation is growing up. Millennials are getting married, having kids, moving into homes, wanting a little more of a grown-up feel. It's less the ikea apartment style and it's more the i want to have a family you know so we're we're responding to that yeah i think it's important to look at the trends in the market and see how it goes and still find your own style within it so what is a good trick for mixing in your opinion when you work with neutrals if you can stick to a neutral palette within a home you can mix styles almost to your heart's desire, like literally, because neutral is such a good basic starting point that you can put in things that you like. And I find that when you have good taste and you like things, those things tend to go together. Even things that might seem a little out of place, like you might have, let's say, sort of an antique oak dining table. And you think, well, I can possibly put mid-century chairs around that that would look weird but you do and all of a sudden bam that looks great and things like that can happen these wonderful kind of alchemy situations where you take these seemingly disparate items and you put them together and if you're working in a solidly neutral base they work so I think that's kind of the key now we work of course with color as well and that's important. You have to be able to bring in color when it's necessary, sometimes very vibrant color. But I think if you are somewhat on the fence about how to mix styles, if you start with neutral, you just can't go wrong with that mix. If you want to add in something, add in like a soft ochre color or maybe a warm brown or something, or even some green, and they become almost like neutrals because they're such muted colors. You know, they're like chameleons. They can kind of be neutral when you need them to be. So, yeah, I think that's kind of the secret. Start with a neutral base. Work from there. I think consistency is very important. And I think the control and then edit is also very important, right? Because we can't just go insanely crazy where there's a different color palette in every room. So I think having a neutral base and then start from there with a color palette, it's very important. Definitely. And then when we do work with color, we tend to carry that color throughout the house. So if we say, okay, our general color scheme here is going to be some cool blues. That means that we're going to bring those blues in, not only to the living room and dining room, but we're going to bring them into the kitchen and into the bedrooms and even in the bathrooms as well, if we need to, especially in a smaller house. It's a little harder to get away with that in a bigger house. In a bigger house, you do need to have more variety because if buyers are walking from room to room to room and it's all the same, 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 that's going to get a little boring. So that's where we get to play a little bit where in bedrooms you can have this kind of new blush pink, which we like to work with, maybe like a terracotta or soft orange. And then another bedroom can be maybe a blue or a teal. So our philosophy is keep color simple. and it's not just about throwing around pops of color, which is a term I've always hated, actually, because color is a commitment. 
and throwing pillows around in a pop of color is almost like the cheap way to get some color in a room when really it has to be thought of from the ground up. You have to consider your rugs, your art on the walls, everything, the upholstery. So when we do work with color, we take into account those items as well. So it's never just a pop of color, it's a commitment of color. And I think that's kind of a philosophy that has guided us. Interesting. I love that, actually. I say pops of color all the time now. <laughs> like, I used to. Now I'm going to stop. <laughs> well, like, the term is somewhat dated. And I think we need a new term for that. So maybe I can start something new. I don't know if commitment of color is catchy enough, but maybe we need a new phrase. I'll think about it. <laughs> yeah, I think what I usually meant is really we need an injection of the color because neutral yeah. can look very washed out, especially depending mm-hmm. on the photographer. Photographer is not skilled working with lights, then it can look really flat. It's actually not doing the property a lot of favor. Because I know like the millennials love those kind of wash out, really overexposed look. But there's actually Mm -hmm. at some point it can look super wash out and too overexposed where you don't actually get any definition or any sort of registering on the photograph. So, yeah, so I think we need that sort of injection Maybe not the pop of color, but definitely there needs to be, like you said, a commitment to that color that you are committing right. to the color palette. Yeah. And also contrast. When you get those washed out photos, what you're also missing is contrast. And that's how the eye sees. The eye sees in contrast. So if you have everything kind of like this washed out white, there's really nothing there anymore. So it's very important to think about your wood tones and your, your other elements that bring that contrast to the room pattern everything. Yeah. Something you said that really struck me is about your mid-century commitment in a way, like the call to the nod of that route. Because I think a lot of stagers are scared picking a specialization. They are afraid they're going to lose clients from it. So did you have any reservation to specialize in more modern homes? We never actually really specialized in it. As much as just whenever we had the opportunity, we jumped at it. And I think that we executed well. And we always made sure people knew, hey, we can do, you know, kind of a cottagey vintage place, too, that's really more traditional. I think people started to get to know us as mid-century modern, possibly because it's in our name. Madison modern home, but the modern home can also be an updated traditional style. So I don't know that we ever got into a complete niche, but I think some people may have thought of us that way just because we always express to them, hey, we love mid-century modern. We do it a lot. It's kind of our signature. So yeah, I would say stay flexible, definitely be open to staging any style of home and have the inventory to back that up. That's good feedback. I usually recommend students to niche down because I think you can be too generalized where you are trying to hit everything, right? You're trying to do a starter home. You're trying to do luxury home all at once. I think when it comes to picking the right niche, it cannot be too small where you kind of paint yourself into the corner. Right. And I think that is really good advice that you need to be flexible because what you're doing now can be applied to a wide variety of different house. You're usually probably staging houses in the same kind of price range. Is that right? They're in all different price ranges. Actually, we'll do one bedroom condos. We'll do five bedroom, huge homes and everything in between. Because it's LA, like I said, there's just the variety. So it's never the same twice. That's very cool. Yeah. And I think the other thing too is also showcasing your portfolios to really show clients what you can do as well. Yeah, it's super important. We've been taking our own photos lately. And that way we have complete control over how we use them, where we use them. And we find that it just opens up a whole world of possibilities to us to you know promote them on social media, put them on our website. We always upload them to house. We work on blogs, we blog post, and then we pin them to our Pinterest page just to get the maximum amount of exposure. And that way we don't have to buy the rights to these photos. And, you know, sometimes that gets a little bit difficult. So one of the things I've been doing is just kind of testing the limits of the camera that we have. And it's just a Canon Rebel series digital 
camera that we bought ages and ages ago. And I think we had all of $500 in it. And it still serves us very well. Do a little bit of photo editing on the computer and boom, suddenly, you know, you can add some light where there wasn't light before. And it saves us a lot of money. And to me, it's kind of a fun hobby. I like shooting interiors. My first camera was a Rebel. Was, I think we bought it at Costco. It felt expensive at a time, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it, it has a lot of mileage. I mean, Canon makes great camera and that's a really great starter camera to start shooting interiors with. Yeah, I would love to upgrade at some point, but at this point, we're pretty happy with it. I was like, I can't really justify getting something more expensive at this point, although it would be a nice wish list item. But yeah, I see a lot of stagers who are still using MLS photos, and I worry about the rights to them, and I worry about the fact that they're just kind of more the wide-angle full-room shots, and they don't show any vignettes or close-ups of the staging work. Whereas when you do shoot your own, you get to choose what you're shooting. You can shoot the angle that makes your staging look the best. You're not trying to sell the house at this point. This is you selling your staging business. So you get to choose and you can go in and when you're shooting, you can also move things around. Just then you put them right back the way they were. You can bring in extra props, like fruits and vegetables into the kitchen if you want. Honestly, it's just loads of fun. And I would love to convince more stagers to be doing this. I don't know how we got on the topic of photography, but it's one of my favorites. Photography is so important because it's all about presentations. You know, we yeah. are teaching our client they need to stage your house. It's the same thing with the stager. We need to stage our own business. And we do that through great photography. And this is also why I want to put on the awards because essentially all the award winners have professionally shot photographs like it's very clear you know they have done post-production they have done the white balance correction they've done the lens correction as well I mean it's properly edited the mm -hmm. angles are great it really showcases the lifestyle as well I mean I really encourage people we're going to launch the award website by the time the episode airs it will be launched we'll link it in the show notes but have a look of all the winners and finalists and see how they're yeah. from one another yeah, it is so important, especially because people make decisions about what homes they're going to see in person based on what they see online in photos first. And with Instagram being such a visual format and Instagram being so popular, imagery, visuals are just more important now than they've ever been. And you have to entice people from the very beginning. And then when they walk in the door, then what they see, hopefully should be an in-person reenactment of what they already saw online. And then yeah. it just gets even better because there's all the 3D reference and the textural references and just a feeling that you get when you walk into the space. But yeah, photography for stagers is super important. And in fact, I know you're an expert. I would love to see, I don't know if you do this, a course on just staging photography for stagers. I think it would be really valuable. We do. We actually have a course. It's called Exposure to Profits, basically. It does talk about how to use your own camera, the differences in different kinds of camera as well, because we usually bring a point and shoot for estimates, but to actually photograph for our portfolio, we use a full frame camera that is a bit bigger, that yeah. is higher resolution, for example, and also the angles of shooting and also composition as well, because you can tweak. Even if you did not shoot the photograph as you want it, you can actually crop it during post-production and edit it as oh, well. Yeah. And like you said yeah. earlier, you can add more warmth to the photo. You can make it cooler as well. You know, there's a lot of things people can do in post-production. One of the things we're actually looking to do is coming out with Lightroom presets later on this year so people can use it for faster photo editing as well. Photography is huge. I mean, I'm obviously biased, but it is. And also this comes up during StagerCon where I invited four top brokers and all of them said the same thing. Because of COVID, essentially the online viewing becomes the first viewing for most buyers nowadays. And because of COVID also, buyers are being trained 
to look at online photos first. So essentially, some people actually are now still buying homes sight unseen, even though we're out of lockdown. So sure. that photograph is extra, extra, extra important nowadays, especially in the post-COVID world. So what is your usual process when it comes to staging a home? So what we do, we're a team, so we will split up the meetings. And we have myself and my daughter as the two main designers. And then we have a staging associate who is going to become a full-fledged designer on the team at some point, and we're bringing her along. We go out to see the home, and it will be one or the other of us, but not both because one will be the lead. So we split it up so that no one is completely overwhelmed with all of the properties. It's pretty much 50-50. So I will go to a meeting, and it's with the realtor usually. Sometimes the seller is there just depends. And we see the home, walk through, take photos of every room. And I stand in the corner of each room and shoot two or three photos as I'm creating three different views from each corner. So each room literally has, you know, a lot of photos in it. Then I will do a walkthrough with the realtor and get some input from them because it's very important to hear who's the likely buyer for this. What's the demographic? What are we looking at? Is this a family? Is this a professional couple? And then we get ideas from them on whether they want to see a room staged as a bedroom or maybe a home office because so many people work from home now. Then I will go through and make detailed notes for every room saying what pieces of furniture we need to bring. But it's not which pieces at this point, it's just, we will need a sofa, we will need two chairs, a rug, a floor lamp, a tree, some side tables, the various things, you know, that we need to bring as in vases and plants and books. And then I will also put down whether we need large, or medium large or medium art or maybe a round mirror or medallion of some sort. So all of these detailed items are in the list. And then our general manager, who is my son-in-law, will send out the proposal. We work with HoneyBook as a software system to help us communicate with clients for proposals and contracts and invoicing. So the proposal will go out usually within 24 to 48 hours, and it will also include some examples of homes that we've staged in a similar style that we plan for this property. So the client will see, oh, okay, they're going to do something kind of like this. And we make sure that they realize this is not an exact representation of what we will do because our inventory is constantly changing And because we never do the same thing twice, but this gives you an idea as a client. Okay, I can see what this might look like. And then once the proposal is accepted, we choose a date after we had already talked in the initial meeting about proposed dates when they would like it staged. And if the proposal is accepted, we move to contract and scheduling. And right now we're doing two days per home. And we allow ourselves that second day because sometimes there are things that we want to go back and tweak. Sometimes maybe we didn't bring exactly the right thing for that spot. And we feel that it gives us that opportunity for us to be absolutely satisfied with the final product. It also allows for if the client happens to come see it at the end of day one, we always say, hey, you know, wait, (laughs) wait till it's completely done on day two. But sometimes they're just too anxious and they pop in and they might say, hey, could you put like an extra this or that in here? We'll go, okay, we'll come back on day two and do that. So we learned, we haven't always done this. We used to do them in one day, no matter what size they were. But we were stressing out. And I think that we were also kind of making maybe some concessions and putting in something where, wow, you really would have rather done this but we only had one day, we were like priding ourselves. Oh, we get everything done in one day, regardless of size. And then we realized, wait a minute, why are we doing this to ourselves? 
we were starting to get kind of anxious, losing sleep, getting stressed, feeling like we had to send someone back to the warehouse to grab something if it wasn't the right thing. Oh, got to get it done in one day. And it's like, oh, especially because of COVID, that kind of gave us permission, sort of slow things down a little bit. And now we say, okay, sometimes we finish on day one. And if we do, we'll let you know. And then it feels like, oh, wow, you guys finished it one day. And then it feels like you're a hero because <laughs> you got it done. But sometimes it's just that second day is that cushion that you need. And I really like having it. And we're just going to stick with that. It's going to be a lasting thing. Now, it does mean that the volume may slow down a little bit. But it also means we have longevity here. We're in it to stay. We don't want to burn ourselves out and then be done in five years where we're just exhausted. We'd like to keep going and it's a family business. So it's going to be passed down and, you know, it needs to survive. So in order to survive and thrive, sometimes you got to step back a little bit. I think that's really good advice, actually. And also, it's definitely different, you know, because I think most staging companies does strive to get it done in a day, ourselves included. And I agree, you know, you can easily burn out, especially during peak season, you're working seven days a week and each day it's like 10 to 12 hours or 16. So yeah. That's a lot of hours. (laughs) Yeah. So I definitely know how you feel. And I think also it's about finding the right rhythm for your own business. And that's a great thing about having your own business. You get to make those decisions, how you want to work. Yeah. So we work five days a week. We don't stage on weekends. We used to. You know, like I said, when we had day jobs and then we did this on the side, but not since we started doing this full time. It just is so important to recharge and refresh and get that creative energy back. And the only way to do that is to give yourself a little time. I understand why people are getting started. They really want to go, go, go. But I, I would actually really caution stagers against trying to do it all yourself or putting in days that are too long because ultimately you want to be around in another 10 years. And I worry, I do worry about some people when I hear about some schedules that people are pulling, I'm like, wow, I don't know how you guys do that. (laughs) I wouldn't want to put the staff through that. And then also we've got our moving team and they're doing D stages as well as stages. So like just this week, for instance, we had, three big D stages going on. And it's been kind of a heat wave here in LA. They're still wearing masks because we're all wearing masks on the job still. Sometimes homes don't have air conditioning that works as well as it should. And they're hauling, you know, four sofas out of one house the other day. And I'm thinking, well, they need a rest too. So this is hard, physically challenging work. Even if you're the designer on the job, I guarantee you, you're lugging some bins and things around too. You're not moving the big pieces of furniture anymore, but you want to get a bin of accessories from floor one to floor two. You're not going to point at it and ask someone else to do it for you. You're going to pick that bin up and you're going to walk it up those stairs because that's what you do. (laughs) And you're going to go out there and arrange that patio furniture in the heat. It's physically, mentally, and creatively challenging to do this work. So we're super aware of the need to recharge on weekends and to not work too late into the evenings either. Maybe it means we're not growing our business as fast as some others, but you know, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. That's very true. And also, I think as a creative professional, you do really need time to recover. It's just like athlete, right? Or not even athlete. Yeah. You just work out. You need time to recover for your muscles to recover. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I think that is really good advice. And again, I just really think it's your own business. We have to find that right rhythm for us. Obviously, we can't take a whole week to stage unless you're staging like a 20,000 square feet house. Two days is definitely reasonable. And I remember interviewing Edie as well. She's up in Seattle. She also was the two-day person. You know, she wanted to do it in two days, take her time, but also traffic. I know LA traffic is also bad. You know, your delivery time is probably a lot longer than mine when I was in the Bay Area. So that's true. 
lots of considerations. And I know there are several people on your team now. So how do you communicate with your team members so your staging always stay consistent and on brand? Well, we have a system that we have actually implemented in our own internal training for our staging associate. And then we keep our skills up constantly by trading off responsibilities so that one person isn't always doing the same thing. If there are literally three of us on every staging who are doing design work, that means that one day this person can be doing the beds and the bedrooms. And then the next day they're going to be styling those built-in bookshelves and vice versa. And so we try to keep our skills up so that you don't get stuck in it. I'm just doing bathrooms all the time. How come, you know, we want to make sure that that person gets plenty of experience with staging a living room, staging a dining room, staging a kitchen. There are different skills for each room. But then we also have some formulas that we have created where there are certain things that we do a certain way and we replicate that, but we never replicate it the same way exactly. So it may be subtle. You may look at all of our staging projects and see, well, when you really look at it closely, you see there's a formula there, but I think you'd have to really study the photos and go back and forth between them to go, oh, I see what they're doing there because we don't want it to be obvious, but it, it does help us streamline the process and it does help us develop our style that is recognizable. We like the fact that people say, hey, I walked into a home and I could tell you guys staged it. Like maybe a realtor will say that to us. I knew that was your staging. How did you know? I don't know. I just knew. And they won't even be able to tell you how they know. They just go, it just had you all over it. <laughs> it's like, okay. We always take that as a compliment because that means that we are, I guess, consistent is a good word because I think consistency is very important. But consistency sounds boring. So maybe it's just that we have a signature look. I like to think of it that way. I love it. So how did you find your signature look? Years and years. And honestly, both my daughter, Rachel, and I started kind of the same way in the early years, 2008, 2009, when we first got started. We would pour over crate and barrel catalogs, pottery barn catalogs, and magazines and websites and blogs. And we would start to just develop this look that we liked that was kind of a combination of all those things. I think catalog styling is some of the most beautiful styling ever done. And I think that Pottery Barn, Crate and Barrel, CB2, West Elm, these major retailers have always been absolutely consistent and inspiring. And I think what happened is we sort of went the catalog route. So for instance, if you have enough of these images in your brain and you basically are walking around with living West Elm catalogs inside there, you can just spit that out <laughs> into a room when you need to. Like, oh, I know that goes there. That goes there. This needs to be this. That needs to be that. Boom, boom, boom. And it just becomes almost second nature. And a lot of it is mimicry. And they say, you know, great artists, I don't know the saying, but something about great artists mimic others. Especially when you're starting out. I cannot stress enough. Just look online every day. Flood your brain literally with Pinterest, flood your brain with Instagram influencers in interior design and make it so that your brain becomes wired to literally be able to replicate what you see. And it also helps you when you're sourcing. So let's say you're just at home goods or you're in a thrift store or you're anywhere where there is inventory to be purchased, like decor and smalls. 
you will hone in on the things that you need to buy. You won't be hemming and hawing over, is it this face or that face? You're like this one. You curate your brain to the point where it knows exactly what to get. And then you will put these things into your cart and other people, shoppers will look at you and go, how did you find all that good stuff in here? All I see is the crap. And you're like, oh, you just have to know how to look. Because I'll have experiences in like thrift shopping where I'll find these gems and I'll put them in my cart and people will stop me and go, was all that stuff here? And I go, oh yeah, it's all here. How do you find it? I'm a professional. I don't know. I'm just a professional shopper. I don't know how to tell you how until I just do it. So it is a skill. It takes years to develop a little bit of a fake it till you make it. In other words, copy, 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 but don't be slavishly devoted to whoever you're copying. So for instance, bring in that pottery barn influence for that kind of updated traditional, then bring in that CB2 for that more modern art deco thing. Learn how to mix these styles, but just be a sponge, literally, in terms of your influences. And I still do it for basically an hour a day in the very beginning of the day when I'm having my coffee. I still study to this day because it's a pleasure and a joy to check in with Pinterest, to check in with the blogs that I follow, check in with Instagram. Images, images, images. And if all of that is in your brain, your brain will basically be wired to do what we do. But to not do that is, I think, to be stuck. And I think if stagers are only looking to other stagers for influence, they might not see the bigger picture. So follow the major interior designers that you love. And every stager should have like a list of their design crushes, essentially. Buy their books, follow their blogs, follow them on Instagram, follow their Pinterest boards, be inspired by fashion and food and travel too. Don't limit it to interior design. I love it. These are amazing advices. I don't know if you know this. I used to work on photo shoots for Pari Barn and William Sonoma because they're based in San Francisco wow. area. I used to work as a prop styling assistant. So I work on those shoots. Those shoots are incredibly calculated. You know, there's an art director that figure out the direction. I mean, first of all, they had a directive from the higher level, right? to find out what is the trend coming up in the furnishing industry, to figure out the color palette, the texture and all that. And then it gets translated into the product. And so, you know, the locations are already pre-selected. Usually Pottery Barn, because they look so consistent, it's also because they always shoot at the same houses. When they rent locations, yeah, I mean, those locations they've used for years. Even the dog comes out and greet the crew because they know them. You know, they shoot there basically all year round. So... Yeah, it's amazing. And so it's a very consistent way and very branded way as well. Like every thing, every placement is extremely calculated. That's why it always looks so good, so consistent. And they really got lifestyle selling down. And I think you're right. Catalog is a really great way for stagers to learn because that's what we sell. We sell lifestyle. I just got a Pottery Barn catalog in the mail and for some reason, I was off their mailing list for a long time, but now I'm back on for some reason. I guess I bought something. And I'm looking at it going, they've still got it. It still stands out among the others as just being excellent. And you can tell there's so much effort that's put into it, but it looks effortless. That's the beauty. And that's staging, really. It takes a lot of effort to put an effortless look together. Exactly. I love it. I love this conversation because I think it's so inspiring to hear from you, especially selecting inventory too. That was actually one of my questions for you because I love your inventory selection. It's always very consistent and they never look like they're bought from big box stores. But you know, some stagers like look at their photos. I can tell they got this from XYZ wholesaler or this from this other store, but yours never look like that. It just looks very organic. You know, it looks like somebody naturally is a homeowner who spent a lot of time and invest into pieces and then pull it all together in the house. It feels very natural, very comfortable. 
Thank you. That is the highest compliment, by the way, to say that it maybe looks like someone lives there because that literally is our goal. It's even on our website. We talk about how we have this vision of this potential inhabitant of this home as being a well-traveled, interesting person. And we collectively create kind of a persona, however fictitious it might be, which is really the Pottery Barn model is to make it feel like you could walk into that space and just sit on that sofa and be so cozy and read a book or have a cup of tea or bring your little dog on your lap. That's the goal. It never should look like staging. So we're very careful about just putting a few business cards, maybe in a little bowl, not putting a sign up that's a staged by, we don't want to break through that illusion that this is someone who has fabulous taste and they live this way every day. Because staging is about aspirational living. You want to walk in and feel like if I bought this home, I will be Martha Stewart. I will be the most organized, wonderful person in the world. And somehow, you know, we all know that's not true. You move in and things get messy. But it should feel like this house will solve all my problems for me. <laughs> I will no longer be a disorganized mess. I will become the new Marie Kondo, crossed with Martha Stewart, you know, crossed with Beyonce or whoever your idol might be. And that is the goal. But as far as sourcing, we are very much the omnivorous type of sourcing. I'm a sorceress, I like to say. We shop everywhere. There's no place that doesn't hold a potential gem of a piece, be it a garage sale that you drive past and you go, wait a minute, I got to stop. There's something there. Or maybe it's a thrift store or a flea market or a going out of business furniture store or an online retailer that everybody goes to. But you found this piece, like, hey, you know, I haven't seen this one. This is a different piece. Let's try this. And some of our pieces are actually very well-worn. We've seen the images online of a lot of people using them. But because they're combined differently, they will be very chameleon-like. And some of these pieces really can go from a very traditional home to an ultra-modern home and everything in between. And they still manage to look perennially fresh. So it's just a matter of, it's that curating your brain to be ready to see that diamond in the rough or to see that chair that no one else paid attention to. And you go, I know I can use that chair. I can make it work if I just did this with it or reupholstered it or something. So that's where the fun comes in. And it's not always wholesale. We've bought wholesale. We've bought retail. We've tried it all. We go back and forth because I don't want to just have one source. I want to have all of these multiple sources because there's no reason to cut yourself off from multiple sources. And online can be a vast cornucopia of options. And especially now when it's very hard to find furniture actually that's built in the real world. Like they're are few and far between showrooms and places and they tend to be more expensive. So for stagers, we do need to buy things that are in flat boxes and need to be built, whether they're online or, or anywhere. And big box stores, we love Ikea as much as anybody. And we use Ikea pieces from time to time, but we try to use the ones that maybe are lesser known, not something where people walk in, oh, that's Ikea. <laughs> we've all had that experience where we can tell like you said I know where that came from and that and that and that and it is nice to have the experience where you walk in and go I have no idea where any of this came from but I love it and lately we've had people asking us can I buy your inventory we used to say yes but now with prices going up and supply chain issues we're actually finding that we're saying, you know what? We need to hang on to this stuff. Because one of my favorite chairs, I noticed the price went through the roof. 
even the wholesale price has gone up. So we can't really be selling our stuff at this point. We need to store it, use it over and over, keep it in as good shape as possible so we can use it again. It's kind of an interesting time right now, but that's basically how we source all the time. No, I love that. I feel like as a sager, you're always shopping. You're always watching. And like you, I seek inspiration everywhere. When I travel, when I go to a restaurant, I actually love looking at restaurant design because they need to be very livable and make people feel very comfortable. And usually the decor is very trendy as well. So I actually love looking at restaurant designs also. Yes, there's influence everywhere. Like I said, fashion, food, restaurants, architecture, it all feeds into one big aesthetic. And it is lifestyle. And that's what we're selling. It's marketing. So literally, it's just visual marketing. At the end of the day, it's a psychological experiment. in how can I get someone to fall in love with this house? (laughs) It is. And I also think that's where your marketing background came into play because you mentioned that you kind of create this persona for this potential buyer. And that's actually something that big box retail store, because I also used to freelance for anthropology to do their visual. Same with Pari Barn, I work on that as well. So they all had this kind of internal buyer persona. They want to create this world around. And this is why that visual feels that they're just speaking to that potential buyer. Very much so. Yes, especially now, I think because we're in an age, like I mentioned, you know, with so many visual influences. And I think Instagram has been a game changer because on Instagram, shooting gorgeous images of food and lifestyle and interiors and average people can have thousands and thousands of followers just because they know how to visually represent aspects of their life. So it's a really interesting time to be a stager because even though everybody is curating their life, you know, to show the very best of themselves, that's literally what we're doing with houses. We're giving them this massive facelift. We're just showing the potential. It's like those makeup tutorials which are so much fun to watch. It's very relaxing to watch YouTube makeup tutorials where people are doing the contouring and they take this face and then they completely transform it. That's what we're doing with houses. We're just applying this professional makeup and and styling them with the proper fashion and clothing, essentially to show them off what is just one big dating website, which is the MLS. So there are a lot of correlations with other industries and other types of influences. There's so much crossover between these. I definitely agree with that. So we're coming to the end of our show. So what would be the number one tip you'll give to homesagers when it comes to starting their homesaging business? Number one tip. Well, don't be afraid to make small mistakes. Don't let the small mistakes hang you up. I think one thing I've learned in all these years is allow yourself the freedom to try things. And if you don't try them, you will miss out on the potential that they could bring. So I would say, don't let fear hold you back from being bold and Use these influences that are available to you online and in person that we talked about. All of these influencers who are putting out amazing, beautiful work, just be a sponge and make mistakes. Because the mistakes you make are not going to be fatal. They're going to be little. And then you'll learn, okay, I'm not going to do that again. But be bold, be different, and soak up influences like crazy. We used to say we eat design for breakfast. Just do that. (laughs) I love it. These are such great advice. Thank you so much for being on our show today. That was fantastic. Thank you, Cindy. It's been like super fun, and I really enjoyed our talk. 
So that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help and support the show, there are three ways to do so. You can leave a review and rating on iTunes. You can share the show on social media, or you can donate to support the maintaining costs for the podcast. You can make a donation through the show notes or on the sidebar of our site. If you haven't left a review on iTunes, please do so. This will help us grow the show and book more guests. If you have any questions, feedback, and suggestions, you can comment on the show notes. You can also find the show notes by going to stagemore.com slash podcast. That's it. Have a fantastic week and happy staging. Happy staging.